Baptist Church in Northfield, Minnesota. And we are coming live to you here. It is 2.03 p.m. Central Time. And a uh, busy day already. Busy week. Always busy stuff going on. Lots of work to do. And uh, praise the Lord for that. And, you know, just uh, keeping on. Amen. It is cold outside. That wind is just brisk. It just, it, summer uh, left us in a hurry. Winter came upon us very quickly. And uh, man, we got 15 mile an hour winds out there right now. It is 36 degrees, but it feels like it's 27. It's going to drop at three. Oh, actually, no, it's going to stay the same. Uh, but it, it's, it's windy. Virus threat protection. Okay, great. Well, we'll worry about that later. It is a window, so we'll have a problem with that, fortunately. Uh, anyway, it is cold. And, uh, man, uh, let's see. Jessica bought me this coffee. I'm telling you, I don't have it. I drank it this morning. It's got a terrible cover to it. But it's called Death Wish Coffee, man. Boy, is it good. Man, it's got a terrible cover, but it has a great uh it has a great uh flavor to it. It's it's a medium roast and uh boy, it's strong, man. Woo. But it wasn't too bad. It was okay. It didn't. It didn't uh, zap me out any or make me feel like I was gonna like get jitters or. So, uh, but anyway, it was. It was definitely a strong cup of coffee. So I made that in the Keurig. I haven't. I haven't made that in the French pot. Uh, the French roast pot there. Andrew, the Andre Bicey one, but. Uh, so, um, but wow, is it strong? It, it's it, but it's a good flavor too. Andrew made some coffee yesterday, though, in his Andre pot. I'm gonna tell you what, that was good coffee, man. That was some really good coffee. But uh, and now is the time for more coffee and less uh, energy. Cause it's too stinking cold. But I did pick one up today. Just grabbed it. But uh, pay attention to the, if you haven't heard the broadcast from Friday yet, you ought to listen to that broadcast on the uh, Ouija board. Uh, a lot of good information in there on the Ouija board. And uh, to help people understand that issue a lot better. Uh, it has better flavor than that dirt stuff. Yeah, that dirt from deep in the heart of dirt. Uh, just north of dirt, south of dirt. Color of dirt. Flavor of dirt. Uh, I don't know why they call it Turkish delight. They ought to call it Turkish dirt. Anybody in the mood for Turkish dirt? Grab hold of some of that Turkish dirt. 
Anyway, I'm not really a fan of Turkish dirt. I did like that Costa coffee you got me, though. Of course. It, now it has now that Costa coffee has a nostalgic effect on me, because because I was with Carl in England, and I'm forever gonna have this like endearment now to to Costa coffee. And I gotta be honest with you, I like England. I like Scotland. I liked Ireland. I I liked it. Italy had great pastries. They had great food, period, really. But Italy was Italy, but I'll be honest with you. I felt right at home in Ireland and Scotland and England. Hey, man, those Turkish sweets were awesome, Carl. I got to go back to Bedford sometime. We didn't have any of them, but they looked awesome. And I could really kick myself if I could. It's kind of hard to do that. You can't really do I can't. I can't kick myself. But I love Costa Coffee. Absolutely. Hey, Carl, find out if you could buy it in whole bean. So they don't uh, grind it so much. Find out if you can do that. Because I don't have a good espresso machine. But find out if you can. But anyway, I'll always remember the cost of coffee. <laughs> I mean, Carl. Carl's big cup. Carl's cup bigger than his head. And uh, Mary looking over at us all, laughing at us. I think there was a few times that I made Mary laugh so hard she cried. Like tears were coming out of her eyes. That's what we need to... Carl, am I right? Did she laugh so hard that she was almost crying? I think she did at some point. I can't remember though, but I'm pretty sure. She... I know Andrew is almost crying. I, I, there were some times when we were laughing so hard. Oh man, we were in the car with Harry. Oh, and that was fun. Harry driving down the road, the wrong side of the road. <laughs> and I and and. Here's the thing. Every time I was in in England, in Ireland, I kept, and in Scotland, I kept getting on the wrong side of the car. I thought you did, Mary. I... I thought we were going to get in the, the, um, I kept trying and, and Ross is like, are you going to drive? I was like, oh, wait, no. I did that to, I did that to Joe, Joey B, Joey Mac. 
Not Joey B. That's the president. Joey Mac. I did it to J-Mac. Not, not to be confused with John MacArthur. But Joey Mac is the original J-Mac. Now, Carl and Mary have threatened to meet me in Canada and my family. I announced that to the church to be praying about that because we want to go to Canada in May. And uh, lots of good surprises on the way. Lots of things about that trip. Now, keep in mind, Brother Andrew and I haven't forgotten about all the footage. We're going to be working on that from now until it warms up, which is, oh, probably very close to eternity around here. But, um, we, uh, we're going to be working on some footage. I got to be working on the Coliseum. I got to be working on uh, all that good stuff. So uh, you pray for us because I got to put together that PowerPoint on the Coliseum. Um, and then I want to do some documentary things about that too. And uh, all that good stuff. We'll see how it goes, okay? But um, Rome, the Vatican, I haven't forgot about any of it, okay? So we're, we're going to be working on it. You're, we're going to release that stuff when it's cold and frozen in Minnesota so our church can sit and look at it. Not me, Becca. I like the heat. I like it hot. Yep, got a lot of stuff on the Vatican. Got extra pictures from Carl when he was there. Uh, Carl and Mary uh, took a day trip over there. Got some extra photos of the Jesuit stuff. Good stuff coming. I, I want to do another broadcast, and maybe I'll do it on Wednesday. I want to kind of explain I kind of want to explain the Jesuit New World Order. I I want to explain it a little bit better. And kind of connect the dots for people to understand a little bit clearer how the infrastructure works. I don't think it's clear enough to people. So, maybe on Wednesday. I'll explain that. Oh, and also, uh, hope Andrew's taking notes. <laughs> also, New Grange. We will do a documentary on New Grange. Talk about the occult symbols. We're going to talk about... I have a bunch of video that I did with Carl and Mary and Andrew and Joey... Joey Mack! The original J-Mack! The OG J-Mack! When I was over there and I talked about the symbols, I didn't put any of that online because we had no signal and we couldn't do anything with it.
So we have that video too. We'll be putting it together. This winter, we're going to be releasing it and working on it and doing things with it. I, I just want, I'm, I'm saying that so you don't think that I forgot about it and I just took a trip over there and I'm done. No, I'm not done. But I, so I wanted you to understand that, that I'm not doing that. I'll explain it, Michelle. It'll make sense to you. I, you know, and it might be a series of those, but as things happen, people need to really understand they're very confused. And some people, when they're confused, they start hating the Jews. That rhymes. See that? When they're confused, they hate the Jews. So I want to clear that up. So I'll use some of the footage. I'll have to go through that. Man, I hope I have time. Maybe I'll have time Wednesday morning. I can grab some pictures and some other stuff. I got to go to the Cairo tomorrow and do some running around tomorrow. Yes. Do I have that video, the, the, the gospel according to Oscar Mayer? How do we show that before we get started? If I had an Oscar Mayer, we... Oh, we'll have to put that together. I don't think we have that yet. I don't think I have that one yet, do I? The Gospel According to Oscar Mayer Wiener. We don't have a separate video for that. Nope, not finished it yet. You got to Okay, you got to finish that, Andrew. That's right, Fabian, and we're and when they're not confused, they still hate the Jews. That's right. I'm telling you. Okay, let me let me I'm just I'm kind of I'm kind of just warming up here this uh, before we get to our teaching here. But it's okay. I I like to inform you cuz I actually I actually like you people. <laughs> I actually love you and I like to talk to you. I don't just like to talk at you. I actually like to talk to you and let you know what's going on. And like, really, like if you came to my house, you would see, ask Michelle, uh, Pete and Michelle and Annalise. If you come to my house and, and you're around me, you know, I'm the same here as there. I, I'm going to talk to you and, you know.
That's just the way it is. But in Canada, I want to preach to the, yeah, even I even love Carl. Yeah, isn't that something? I have to preach. I want to preach to the Jews. There's a Jewish community there. I want to preach to them. But Pastor Jeffrey is a Jew. And I want to I want to meet him and I'm going to spend about 4 days at his church at least. I got to I want to I want to spend about 10 days with my family at least on vacation just enjoying time with them alone cuz they need that. They need me to like not be doing stuff and just focusing on them and having a good time. So I'm going to do that through Canada for a while for about 10 days, but I'm also going to have 4 days at least at Pastor Jeffrey's. If I have to be gone two and a half weeks, I'm not worried about it. I can do that. It's it's. Not, I'll do whatever. I got plenty of men here to preach, and uh, all that good stuff. So I'm not worried about that. I got good men that'll stand in for me and take care of things. So I do plan on seeing Daryl and Teresa. We are going to go through Michigan over there, and we are going to stop by and spend some time with Daryl and Teresa for sure. Um, and, uh, but I, I want to go preach to the, to those folks. We have a Baptist history to do there in Canada. We have street preaching to do there in Canada. We have some documentary work that we're going to be working on in Canada. Yep, Brother Paul will preach. Brother Jacob will preach. Probably Brother Dave or Brother Lee, if he has time. Who knows? We're all busy, men. We'll definitely have, a, have the pulpit filled there. That won't be a problem. Uh, but anyway, so you pray... About that trip, I will have Andrew put together a video coming up soon. Uh, it's it's a little early right now. I do need to have my wife get take a mental note there, Hannah, and or or on your phone. But uh, we need to. I forgot. I think I can fill all of that stuff out online. I can't remember. But we got to get passports nailed down. So we got to start working on that. I want that well in advance for that. So we have there's a lot of stuff to do in Canada. Four days. I'll be four days at Pastor Jeffrey's church there, and we'll be hoofing it. So we'll be having a lot of stuff to do, but it'll be an enjoyable time. I'm going to preach for the church probably a couple times, two or three times, I'm guessing, whatever Pastor Jeffrey wants. And uh, I'll be, we'll be street preaching out of the street with him. I want to go to that Jewish community and preach over there while we're there at. Um, and I'm doing that all in May. The reason I'm doing that in May is June starts our busy time. I just, we just finished our busy time of preaching. This was the last event 
of the busy schedule. We are now we're going to switch into winter where we'll have a few events, but mostly we we will be doing you'll you'll probably see powerpoints in the afternoon. Um when we get the Coliseum stuff going, when I get the the new grain stuff going, when I, I'll be busting tail on that stuff, okay? So that's that's what'll switch. You'll have afternoon Sunday afternoons if you'll want to watch those things, you'll want to see them live on there and then we'll put them online, but we'll be doing those. And uh, yep, hunting season starts this Saturday. Opening season this Saturday. So you pray for me. Pray this farmer cuts his field down over here. He's got that corn up still. The deer hide in there and they don't come out. He needs to cut that field down. About ready to get a combine and do it for him. Anyway. But, um. So lots of good stuff. We'll be shooting a promo video on it so you'll see it. There's also some things that I haven't mentioned yet. Because I'm waiting. But about that Canada trip and stuff. But we'll wait. I'll, I'll wait on that. But we... We will be. I, I look forward to it. I want to be an encouragement to their church and to all to other believers that are in Canada. So I'm giving people an advance notice about that. I know, but Teresa, our season starts on, on Saturday. So we got to get, that field's got to come down. Otherwise, opening day's not going to, I don't think it's going to be that great. This is the rut, but man, they got to have that field down. Last year, that field was down already. I don't know what the deal is. It was down two or three weeks before. But anyway. So. You pray that farmer gets over there and gets it done. All right, everybody. Uh, so lots of good and exciting things coming up as we press forward. So lots of content will probably be released uh, during this winter, Lord willing. That's what we'll be focusing on. because, And I'll be reading and studying and going over things and all kinds of fun stuff. So, you pray for us, and I'll let you know how you can support that that work coming up when we uh, when we uh, get to that point. Okay. All right. Michelle, if it was gross, it's because somebody didn't make it right. Because I can make you deer burger mixed with beef, and you would absolutely love it. You wouldn't even know it, probably. 
but you would think those are the best tasting burgers ever. Or if I mix it with pork, you'd love it. You wouldn't taste anything. The reason why it's gamey is because people, when they when they're skinning the deer, they get hair in it. If you get hair in it, it'll be gum. It'll it'll be it'll be gamey. It's when they skin it, they get hair in it. But I guarantee you, if you were sitting in my house and I made you backstrap from the from the smoker, uh, it's like a tenderloin. I'm telling you, I've deep fried it before too and breaded it. It's if people make it bad, that's why. They don't do it right. It won't, you'll love it. No, 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 you didn't eat hair. It's because the hair was was in there when they were trimming it. They didn't trim it right. It got all that hair in there. They didn't clean it good, and it just made it taste bad. That's why. people. It's people that don't know what they're doing. But I like to grind most of it up. I have literally deep fried that. I have deep fried uh, deer. I breaded it and deep fried it before and made that chicken fried steak with it. But it's like, uh, I bread it and deep fry it. Oh my goodness. It just melts in your mouth. But if somebody does it wrong, it tastes bad. But I could cut the back strap out of that deer and cook that for you, and you would just be like, oh, my goodness. It is good ground up. You'd love it. If somebody doesn't do it right, it tastes like garbage. I agree. All right, everybody, we are going to get into... So anyway, pray about all that. I'm excited about what God's going to do. I know I'm not worthy to do anything. Man, I'll tell you. It is Christ that is worthy. I'll tell you, man, I just... What a stinking nut. Okay, well, here you go. Let's get started here. This is the next charismatic nut job we're going to talk about. John Alexander Dowie. Dowie, that is John Dowie. No, that is not Aaron. Okay, that is not. That is not the high priest Aaron, Moses' brother. That is, in fact, John Alexander Dowie.
And as we continue on with these false charismatic signs and wonders, we come to this man here. He, is, he would be considered the father of modern false healing in tongues. One of the fathers. And right here, is the crux of the issue. These people are imposters. Hey, it's warm in here, man. I can take this off. If I get cold, I'll put it back on. It feels good in here. He does look like the Schnebelator, Bill the Schnebelator. But that is not Bill the Schnebelator or John the Revelator. Okay. John Allen. Now, this is taken from the Pentecostal Charismatic Movement. David Cloud's book. You can order this book on his website The History of Pentecostal, the Charismatic Movement. John Alexander Dowie from 1847 to 1907 is called the father of healing revivalism in America. He believed he was the forefront of an end times apostolic miracle movement. Now listen. The characteristic in the end times for signs and wonders is deceit. They are not, the signs and the wonders are not done by the Lord's people. They are done by the Antichrist and his system. In the beginning of the age, in the beginning of the gospel era, Jesus did many signs and wonders. The apostles did signs and wonders. Signs and wonders were done for the Jews. Why? Because the Jews seek a sign, but Jesus said, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet. 
sign of Jonas the prophet. Calling them to repentance. Paul talks about this. 1 Corinthians 1.22, for the Jews require a sign. What does God say? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. See, the reason God did that was the Jews sought after a sign. To know that it was God coming to them. But in this dispensation, as time was, as that door was closing to the nation of Israel, and God was instituting the gospel to the known world through the apostles. Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, said, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. What This is a fulfillment of what Christ said. What did Christ say? For the Jews require a sign. Jesus said, an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. But no sign would be given them that, than what? The prophet Jonas. Jonah. Right? The prophet Jonah. What was his sign? Preaching repentance toward God. Repent. 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 What is the sign that Paul was saying? For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks. Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. But these charismatics, they take, they are deceivers. And the signs and wonders are deception. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 
deception. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Okay? Then what else do you have? The other thing you have after that is that we are warned in in Revelation 13, we are warned of the deception. We are warned of the false miracles. How are you going to be able to tell the difference in true miracles from God and false miracles from the devil if if you're seeing them do the same things? Here's how you know. God did not tell us to look for signs and wonders. He told us to walk by faith and not by sight. I know that the Jews seek after a sign. So signs were given to them. They were not given to Gentiles and to the church. Because Jew and Gentile alike were to to be preached Christ to. And that those signs and wonders would be done away with. God would be finished with using those. And in the end, they're going to be deception. Okay. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. For Revelation chapter 16, how do I know the difference in the miracles? God said that signs and wonders and the miracles were over and that those signs and wonders and miracles would be over. They would not be done. They were only for a season. Revelation 16, 4, 14. For they are the spirit of spirits of devils. Hey, that's a clue. Well, what's that a clue to? They're the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. I was told in the scriptures that whether they be tongues, they shall cease. I was told I'm to walk by faith. That I am justified by faith. That I'm not to I'm not to be an evil and an adulterous. What does that mean? God is saying they're a bunch of whores. Jesus is saying they're a bunch of whores. They're a bunch of whores looking for proof. They're demanding proof like a bunch of whores. 
They're an adulterous generation. Bunch of whores seeking signs. Okay. When the miracles and the signs and the wonders are are characterized as lying, deceit. See, God didn't ask you to be able, well, when you see somebody doing these miracles, you're going to have to be able to discern whether that's a prophet of the Lord or if that's or if that's the devil doing it no he told us flat out the nature of end times miracles Right? The, the nature of end times miracles are from the devil. Because I'm to walk by faith. All right, so who is Dowie? Let's talk about him. John Alexander Dowie. Dowie taught that healing is promised in Christ's atonement and insisted that those who sought faith healing to give up all medical care. He claimed that God did not inflict his people with sickness, and he viewed druggists and physicians as instruments of the devil. His magazine, Leaves of Healing, had a wide international influence. So he he swore off all medicine and told the people that sought uh, him that they shouldn't take any medicine or herbs or anything else like that. They should just believe God for a miracle. Dowie conducted healing services near the main gate of the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. Across the street from some of the most popular attractions such as Buffalo Bill Wild West Show. As a result of the hubbub stirred up by the healing meetings, Dowie opened healing homes to accommodate hundreds of people. In 1895, Dowie purchased 6,800 acres of farmland about 40 miles north of Chicago on the shores of Lake Michigan and began to build the 10-square-mile Zion City where doctors, drugs, and devils were not allowed. But he did, Zion. He called it Zion, Illinois. In this period, Dowie had also refined his religious organization, naming it in 1903 as the Christian Catholic Apostolic Church. Ah, Christian Catholic Apostolic Church. So he was a pope. Yeah, look at him. He's a high priest. The high priest. Look.
This was the home of Dowie's Christian Catholic Apostolic Church. Zion City was a planned religious theocracy. Look, there's only one nation of Israel. You understand that? There's only one nation of Israel. There's only one theocracy that Jesus is going to set up when he comes back. And he's going to rule and reign, and it'll be a perfect government. But that's not now. Zion City was a planned religious theocracy with streets and boulevards, parks of golf courses, and mar marina. It had its own electrical plant, a brick kiln, a lumber mill. It had a general store and a post office with its own Zion stamps. It featured the Zion Bank. The Zion Investment Company, the Zion Candy Factory, the Zion Lace Factory. The Zion Cookie Factory. All right. Now you're talking a cookie factory. That's right. Because if you're going to have a theocracy, you better have a cookie factory. That's what I'm saying. Look, I'm setting that thing up in my house. This week, Z Zion Cookie Factory. Zion Publishing House, Zion Boarding Houses. Zion Hotel, Zion College, and a 7,000-seat Zion Tabernacle. Dowie held the false doctrine that the Anglo-Saxon race descended from Israel. What a bunch of dummies. He wrote this, I believe the Anglo-Saxon race to be Isaac's sons. I believe that the British and American people form one great Israel, not Judah. That they are the descendants of the ten tribes of Israel. Thieves of Healing, October 11, 1895. And there is a man that is absolutely bat crazy. Dressed up in this outfit. No, that wasn't trick or treat. No, this is not Halloween. That's tomorrow. Actually, this nut job actually dressed like this on purpose. And he thought he was reliving the Levitical priesthood. He thought he was, he thought he was descendant of the Israelites. Yes, he thought he was an Israelite. And I'm telling you what, when you get your theology screwed up like that, I met a lot of reformers and other guys out there, a lot of jokers out there that said, yep, we replaced Israel. We're the nation of Israel. No, you're a nation of idiots. That's what you are. You are an absolute idiot. That's what you are. Nut job fool. That's what you are. Because you are not Israel, and you are not of the 12 tribes, and you are not any of those things. You're just plain nuts is what you are. Bat crazy like the woman that messaged me the other day. Man, there was some lady, and she was just absolutely bad. I thought Sarah Bellinger was nuts, and she is.
that lady's nuttier than a poop house rat. But, I, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, this lady that messaged me was absolutely nuts. She makes up fake accounts because I block all of her accounts so she can talk to me. And then she sends me the bat craziest messages you could ever imagine in your life. She accused me of everything except JFK's assassination. In a matter of like 20 minutes. Dowie believed that all men would eventually be saved. In a letter to his wife, he said, I know God's mercy never dies, that he will receive at the end all unto himself. They believed in a universal salvation. Dowie advocated the revised version of 1881 based on the corrupt Westcott and Hort Greek New Testament. Well, that makes sense. As a result of his dispensational confusion, Dowie required that his followers give up the use of all pork products. What? I knew, you know what? You get a guy grow a long beard like Carl, and he's giving up pork. I don't know what the deal is. They get a long beard, and they give up pork. Then, what this guy do? He made all his followers give up the use of all pork products. Pig farmers who joined his cult had to give up that occupation. What, are you kidding me? You ain't smoking porky pig anymore? I am a pork-eating Gentile. They grow their beard long, and what do they do? Can't eat no more pork. Dowie ruled Zion with an autocratic hand and was noted for financial irresponsibility and a love for personal luxury, which eventually bankrupted the institution. In June 1901, Dowie claimed that he was Elijah the Restorer. Sure you are, bud. Sure you are. You look more like Chef Boyardee. That's what you look like. You look like you ate Elijah the Restorer. He claimed that he was Elijah the Restorer, and in 1904, he told his followers to anticipate the full restoration of apostolic Christianity and revealed that he had been divinely commissioned as a first apostle of a renewed end-time church. That's from the Dictionary of Pentecostal and Charismatic Movements, first edition, page 249. Now, let's remember one thing about that. What the scriptures say. I believe it's 
second. Revelation 2.2 2 warns us, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. They say they're apostles and they're not. Here's the, here's the second, look at this, check this out. Revelation 3, 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which, they, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Revelation 2, 9, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. There you go. What did he say he was? Said he was a Jew. He's not. Said he was an apostle. He's not. Sadly, Dowie's false doctrine had serious consequences in his own family. When his only daughter, Esther, Dowie had one daughter and one son, was severely burned after accidentally knocking over an alcohol lamp, he banished one of his followers for trying to alleviate her pain with Vaseline. He let his own daughter go through pain and wouldn't let her have any Vaseline. Wouldn't let her have any anything to, to, to comfort her burns. So he let his little girl suffer. Many who came to Dowie's faith, Dowie's faith cure homes died of their illness without any medical attention. His own coachman, Carl Strzok, died of pneumonia in 1902. Conveniently, Dowie said the lack of healing was always the result of sin. That's what he said to her. Or that's what he said to her. Well, must be sin in your life. That's why you didn't get healed. So he let his, he let his own uh, man die, his own uh, coachman die of pneumonia. Wouldn't get him help. In the last few years of his life, Dowie was accused of sexual irregularities and alcoholism. He was a drunk. His wife and son brought charges of impropriety and were estranged from him. She revealed that she had found the general overseer, Dowie, and Miss Hoffer together on several occasions in what to her were questionable circumstances. By the way, that's why I'm against a man 
uh, a, a pastor having like a female secretary or something. I don't need to work close with women. The only woman I want to work close with is my own, my wife, and maybe and my daughters. That's it. I don't want to work close with anybody else, any other woman. I have no desire to do that. He gets over to America here and goes to the city of Zion there. The quote from an Irish MP wrote of Dowie, the one incomprehensible element in the man's gigantic success is the personal luxury in which he lives. His superb refusal at the same time to account for any of the sums of money entrusted him. His horses are worth a fortune in themselves. His carriages are emblazoned with armor armorial bearings. His wife is said to dress with gorgeous extravagance of an impress. When he travels, hemmed around with a little army of servants, the prophet of humility and self-denial is a special trained charter. And whenever the spiritual burdens become too great attacks, there is a delightful country residence belonging to him in which he retreats from the clamor and importunate appeals of the faithful. His wife and children left him. Dowie suffered a crippling stroke in September of 1905, and while he was recovering in Jamaica and Mexico, Zion City was taken away by a revolt led by William Boliva, the man Dowie had left in charge. In 1906, Zion City was declared bankrupt. For six months before his death, Dowie lay in a state of total despondency. In spite of Dowie's heretical doctrines and unscriptural ministry, he prepared the way for Pentecostalism. Dowie believed that the gift of tongues would be restored. In 1897, he wrote, I think some of you are getting a new tongue. You are getting a new tongue that gives praise to the Lord. For a new blessing that has come into your homes, and he is giving us new tongues. We have not everything yet that is true, but he gives the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and faith and the gifts of healing and working of miracles and prophecy and discerning of spirits. And he will give us in due times tongues and interpretation of tongues. He will. That is coming in its right time. April 10th, 1897, leaves of healing. Think about this. He didn't heal himself. He didn't have any of his other healers heal him. Like Kenneth Copeland with the pacemaker. They all wear glasses. They all got pacemakers. They all got all these problems. The Dictionary of Pentecostal and Charismatic Movements acknowledges that Dowie was an important forerunner of Pentecostalism. Dowie's later latter days miracle theology helped pave the way for Pentecostalism, and many of the most famous Pentecostal evangelists went out from Zion City. And dozens of Dowie's followers joined the Assemblies of God.
Three of the original eight members of the Assemblies of God General Council were from Zion City, which proves that they were totally fake. It proves they were not real at all. Fake, phony, right? Okay. In um, the the those who came out of Zion City to become influential, the Pentecostal movement were F. F. Bosworth, fake healer, John Lake, fake healer. J. Roswell Flower, Daniel Opperman, Cyrus Falkler, Fred Vogler, Maria Burgess Brown, William Piper, F.A. Graves, Lemuel Hall, Martha Robinson, Gordon Lindsay, another fake, and Raymond Ritchie. Influential Assemblies of God minister Gordon Lindsay wrote Dowie's biography and gave him credit for influencing a host of men of faith who have had powerful ministries referring to generations of Pentecostal preachers. So here you have the actual birth of the Pentecostal movement. Okay, you have the birth of the Pentecostal movement. The holiness movement had produced a frenzy of spiritual excitement and a lusting after second blessings and a second baptism. Can't be simple faith, right? Can't just walk by simple faith and live for God simply. Here we come to the next guy, Charles Parnham. Parham, sorry. I think I said Parnham. I spelled his name wrong. That's all right. I'll fix it later. By any reckoning, Charles Parham is a key figure in the birth of Pentecostalism. He was ordained as a Methodist, but left the organization after falling out with his ecclesiastical superiors. Let's see, let me. Anyway, so there we go. Now, this man, 
is a key figure in the birth of Pentecostalism. He was ordained a Methodist, but left the organization after falling out with his ecclesiastical superiors. In a restless search for religious instruction, he visited the ministries of a number of strange, holiness, faith healing, and latter rain teachers, picking up various heresies along the way, because he, which he eventually merged together into his Pentecostal theology. Okay? That's what he did. They're like witches. And what they do is they're like witches. And what they do is they grab things, okay, from different, they get different mojos, different lucky talismans, different power. Prior to the turn of the century, Parham observed the meetings of Benjamin Irwin, the founder of the fire-baptized Holiness Church. Remember that? We talked about him before. And was deeply influenced by Irwin's third blessing doctrine. The blessing of salvation, the blessing of power, the blessing of sinless perfection. Irwin taught that it was necessary for the Christian to seek the baptism of fire for power and perfection. They said this, the fire baptized holiness church served as an important link in the chain that later produced the modern Pentecostal movement by teaching that the baptism of the Holy Ghost was an experience separate from and subsequent to sanctification. It laid the basic doctrinal premise of the latter movement. It is probable that Charles Parham, the man who initiated the Pentecostal revival in Topeka, Kansas in 1901, received that from Irwin. Basic idea and promoted the baptism of fire. That's from the Holiness Pentecostal tradition. Parham adopted the heresy of annihilation from his Quaker grandfather-in-law, David Baker, denying the eternal punishment of the wicked and believing rather that the unsaved would be annihilated in hell. So they believe what the SDAs believe, that men are annihilated that they soul sleep, that they never come back again. Right? Wow, look, he was born in Muscatine, Iowa. That's crazy. So he adopted that heresy. In 1898, Parham came under the influence of the aforementioned Frank Sanford, and in 1900, Parham traveled to Chicago to study the ministry of John Dowie and to examine Zion City. So they all had to go to their little Mecca, John Dowie's little Mecca, and get the mojo, get the power, get the witchcraft, get the spirits that are there. Remember what Simon the Sorcerer tried in the scriptures? Acts, here it is, Acts 8, 
And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands of the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things he have spoken come upon me. What was he? A sorcerer. He never got saved. He was the same old guy looking for the magic mojo. Because that's what sorcerers do. That's what witches do. They travel around and they get witchcraft from other people. They get their devils. They buy. Um, Michael Jackson bought the playbook of the Beatles and owned the Beatles playbook. That's what made him a billionaire. He owned half of Sony's playbook. Well, he bought it for a financial investment. No, he bought it for devils. He bought it for devils. So he could have the same devils the Beatles had. That's why he bought it. Like Sanford, Dowie and Charles Parham taught that physical healing is in the Christian's birthright and railed against the use of medicine and doctors. Now, I don't like doctors either, and I try to stay away from as much as I can. But if something bad happens, I'm going to go to one. I don't take a bunch of medicine. I don't want to take a bunch of medicine. I don't try to take a bunch of medicine, right? But at the same time, if it's needed, then you do it. Legacy, 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 impartation, 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 legacy, legacy. What should she be saying? Legion, legion, legion. My coat on backwards. But that's what they do. They seek to have that power. So. So they believe they they tried to say that in September 13th, 1889 issue of the Apostolic Faith magazine, Parham replied to the question of whether the Bible forbids the use of medicine by exclaiming, we say yes, most emphatically, yes. Well, I don't believe I don't believe the Bible forbids the use of medicine. It forbids the abuse of medicine. 
it doesn't it doesn't forbid the use of it 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 forbids the abuse of it that's what it forbids An issue of Christian History Magazine said contains a photo of Parham and seven of his followers standing on the steps of Carthage, Missouri Courthouse. The year was 1906 and Parham is holding a flagpole with banners reading Apostolic Unity. The others are holding banners proclaiming truth, faith, life, victory, health. They were making a statement of their doctrinal faith that health is guaranteed part of the Christian life. Listen to me. Health is not a guaranteed part of your Christian life. Death is a guaranteed part of your Christian life. Sorrow and sickness is a part of your Christian life because your flesh is fallen. It's broken. It's going to die. It's, it's, it's got death wrapped in it. My flesh has death wrapped in it. In my DNA is written fallen death death passed upon all men for that all have sinned i am guaranteed tribulation i am guaranteed sorrow i am guaranteed sickness my wife when she had a baby your wife when she had a baby you ladies when you had a baby in sorrow shalt thou bring forth In sorrow shalt thou work by the sweat of thy brow. Sin brought death into the world. The atonement does not change that. Our bodies will die. The atonement pays for our sin and cleanses our souls by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It does not redeem immediately this flesh. This flesh shall drop, Paul said. Watch. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Look what Paul, but some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. How to die. 
Gotta die, friend. It's gotta go. Gotta go into the ground. Parham was the first Pentecostal preacher to pray over handkerchiefs and mail them to those who desired his ministration. Wait, so he mailed hankies to people? Yeah. He was the first one to mail hankies. In spite of his teaching that it was always God's will to heal and that medicine and doctors must be shunned, one of Parham's sons died at, at, at age one of a sickness that was not healed. He died, in fact, two months after the outbreak of tongues at Parham's Bethel Bible School in Topeka, Kansas. Another son died at age 37. Most of those who attended Parham's meetings were not healed. In October 1904, a nine-year-old girl named Nettie Smith died. Her father was an avid follower of Parham and refused medical treatment for his daughter. The little girl's death turned local public opinion against Parham because her sickness was treatable and the community considered her death unnecessary. Now listen to me. And you listen to me good. Because here's where Satan plays games. Every time I've ever seen Christians get into trouble with doctors, not every time, but many times, with doctors, with their doctrine, with all those things, it ain't simple things like I don't want vaccines. It's not that. You know what it usually is? It's some kooky, crazy Pentecostal that that a, that clearly their holy healing isn't working, but they want to let their kid starve to death or they want to let their kid die. Or they put their kid on some super stupid diet that kills them. Every time. And then everybody looks at Christians and says, see, see what them people do. That's why you got to interfere with them and, and bring in the police and bring in AR-15s and, and surround Christians' houses and burn Waco down. You see why you got to do that? No. There's a balance between, yeah, I don't take med a lot of medicine. I don't give my kids medicine for every ache and pain they have. We don't do vaccinations. We don't take COVID shots. But we're not stupid either. If something bad happens, we're going to go to the hospital. If my kid clearly ain't getting better, I'm going to go try to get him some medicine. Do you see the difference? But Satan wants to make us all look like a bunch of kooks. Be like, well, them people, them anti-vaxxers are a bunch of kooks. No, it's the Pentecostal loonies and the, and the crazies that let their kids die. 
or starve them and put them on some stupid diet so they die. Do you see what I mean? That balance is right in the middle. Like, yeah, I don't do vaccines. Yeah, I don't do, we don't do any of that stuff, but we're not stupid either. We're not gonna, we're not gonna let our kids die. See the difference? We're not going to swear off medical help. It's like the guy that's out in the middle of the water in the flood and he's drowned and he prays and he asks God to send help. So a boat comes up and he says, no, I'm waiting for help from God. So the boat leaves. Then a a raft comes up and says, hey, get on the raft. Let's get out of here. No, I ain't taking that. I'm waiting for God to do something. Then the helicopter comes and you got to go. And they drown and they go to heaven. Right? And it's a story. Of course, it's not true. It's a, it's a, it's a picture. It's a, you know. Uh, they say, well, I was waiting for a miracle. Well, I sent you three people. I sent a boat. I sent a raft. I sent a helicopter. I answered your prayer. The bottom line is we're not fools. We're not stupid. Don't act like these Pentecostal nut jobs. Or I've seen crunchy organic dudes the same way. Crunchy organic Christians the same way. Always sick all the time and always got all this other stuff all the time and won't get no help. Nonsense. By the way, the only organic food you know is the one you grow in your backyard. All that stuff that you're paying three times the amount for, you have... You're, 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 you are trusting the same people that feed you the other food to label your food. And you're spending 10 times the amount to pay for it. Okay, I'm done. Moving on. Parham himself suffered Parham himself suffered various sicknesses throughout his life and at times was too sick to preach or travel. For example, he spent the entire winter of 1904 and 1905 sick and bedridden. 
in spite of his own doctrine that healing is guaranteed in, the, in Christ's atonement. In March 2020, 22, March 22nd, 1899, in his issue of Apostolic Faith magazine, Parham listed his beliefs as follows. Salvation by faith, healing by faith, laying on of hands in prayer, sanctification by faith, coming of Christ, premillennialism, the baptism of the Holy Ghost in fire, which seals the bride and bestows the gifts. Thus, we see the combination of the various heresies he had collected in his travels. Right? Parham also believed in the annihilation of the unsaved. He taught that there were two separate creations and that Adam and Eve were of a different race than people who allegedly lived outside the Garden of Eden. The first race of men did not have souls. He claimed that this race of people without souls was destroyed in the flood. He believed that only those who received the Latter-day Spirit baptism and spoke in tongues would make up the bride of Christ and would be sealed for the marriage supper of the Lamb and that these would have a special place of authority at Christ's return. He believed in a partial rapture composed of tongue speakers. From John Dowie, Parham adopted the heresy that Anglo-Saxons are Israelites. He associated often with the Ku Klux Klan and believed that interracial marriages caused the flood of Noah. Parham did not believe that black people could be sealed as part of the bride of Christ. What an idiot. After his visit with Dowie in Sanford, Parham established the Bethel Bible School in Topeka, Kansas. It was patterned after Sanford's ministry and was opened in October of 1900 in a 30-room building called Stone's Folly. It was so named because the owner, whose name was Stone, was unable to complete the building before going bankrupt. Parham was convinced that Christ's return would be preceded by a latter rain outpouring of signs and wonders. And he believed that tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He further believed that the tongues are real earthly languages that would enable missionaries to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth without having to learn foreign languages. According to Parham's teaching, those who received the latter rain baptism would form the bride of Christ and would rule with him at his coming. Parham urged his students to seek his experience. In this context, he laid hands on one of the Bible school students, Agnes Osman. Agnes! Agnes! I got to go on record to say, I bet you Agnes was one annoying broad. Oh, Aggie. Aggie! Oh, she was a great nutty broad, I guarantee. Bethel Bible School. Osmond was considered as the first to speak in tongues of the Pentecostal revival when she was 30 years old. Okay, so who's ready for this? Who's ready for this? Are you ready? Okay. Are you ready? 
women were forbidden to speak in tongues. They weren't supposed to even be the ones that were speaking in those. Yet their whole movement is built on a woman speaking in tongues. You get it? This is how I know their whole movement fake. Their whole movement is of the devil. Their whole movement is satanic. Their whole movement is Jezebel. Their whole movement is absolutely filled devils. I I absolutely know it 100% because it is all built on rebellion. Osmond was considered the first to speak in tongues in the Pentecostal revival when she was 30 years old in 1905. However, her experience, nevertheless valid, post-dates the Shearer Schoolhouse Revival of 1896 near Murphy, North Carolina, where the first documented mass outpouring of the Holy Ghost was heard. They spoke with new tongues during a Holy Ghost baptism-type revival. Oh. Okay, Parham urged his students to seek his experience in this context. He laid hands on one of his Bible school students, Agnes, and she allegedly began to speak in Chinese and later in Bohemian. She spoke while in a trance. Subsequently, Parham and others at the small Bible school also allegedly began to speak in tongues. They even claim that cloven tongues of fire appeared over the heads of the tongue speakers. Parham said that the language professors and other linguistically educated people confirmed that the tongues the students were speaking were languages. But this has never been confirmed. Newspaper reporters of the day described the phenomenon merely as gibberish. Which... Reminds me of this. Oops. Since Brother Jimmy is no longer with us, is there anybody else who has the gift of interpreting the tongues in which we're all going to speak today? Anybody? Oh, goodness, that was frightening. Oh, hello. Who might you be? Why, we're the members of Wickersham Apostolic Church, and you are? Isn't it obvious, Preacher Jeff? He's a golden angel from heaven! Oh, I'm afraid that's not quite true. My name is C-3PO. I am a service droid from another galaxy, programmed to interact with and assist various organic life forms such as yourselves. Assist us? Yes, that's right. 
Is there anything with which you need assistance? Well, yes, actually. We're trying to get an old-timey revival going where a number of us are going to speak in tongues, but our translator called in sick with an unexpected case of Lutheranism. Is there any chance the Holy Spirit has bestowed upon you the supernatural gift of interpretation? I'm afraid that I possess no divinely given abilities. However, I was programmed to be fluent in over six million forms of communication, including all the languages of your planet, so I believe I could be of service as a translator. Hey, you guys hear that? That's great. Yeah, really great. Well, let's get this thing going. All right. Anybody feel in the spirit? Anybody have a word from the Lord you just gotta share with us? I'm feeling it. Shlaba have a tween bing doogie alba bingo. Okay, Brother 3PO, what did Sister Jane say? Um, nothing. What? Yeah, what are you talking about? I said a bunch of stuff. Well, you did make sounds, but I'm afraid those sounds were just randomly assembled bits of gibberish and don't belong to any actual language. Really? You sure that wasn't Russian or something? Quite certain, I'm afraid. Well, I'm really feeling the spirit. Let me try something. That felt like Hebrew. That was Hebrew, right? No, just Middle Eastern sounding gibberish. French sounding gibberish. Rubio, Mavia, Pasta Primavera. That was half gibberish, half just listing menu items from an Italian restaurant. Yo tengo tres bigotes en mis piscinas. Hey, that was Spanish, right? Yes. You just said, I have three mustaches in my swimming pools. Did the Holy Spirit directly reveal to you that you have three mustaches in your swimming pools, or did you just subconsciously shout out the only words you remember from Senorita Van Meter's fifth period Spanish class your freshman year of high school? Seventh period, actually. Look, my new friends, as much as you all want to believe it, I'm afraid it's clear that the Holy Spirit isn't actually causing you to speak in legitimate foreign languages as he did to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Well, the Lord is obviously speaking through us somehow. In fact, I believe we're speaking in some kind of supernatural prayer language, like how St. Paul talks about speaking in the tongue of angels. You speak angel? Well, no, but... Well, then, rest assured, my Pentecostal friends, that must be what's going on. I do hate to be rude, sir, but when St. Paul references the tongue of angels in 1 Corinthians 14, he's not saying that the Holy Spirit actually grants certain men the ability to speak the official language of heaven. Rather, he's making a rhetorical point. To people who think that speaking in tongues makes them better Christians, he's saying, even if I speak in the most super-duper heavenly of tongues, if I think I'm holier than other people, I'm actually proving myself to be a spiritually infantile, self-righteous sinner. Well, all right, So, but... in the end, the Bible only actually describes God giving men one kind of miraculous tongue-speaking, that of speaking in actual languages, which we've just established that you're not doing, and which we'll establish in a future video no one is actually doing today. And if I may be so bold, inventing a new way that God is speaking through you after it's just been shown that God wasn't actually speaking through you the way you first claimed he was is not substantially different from when the Jehovah's Witnesses kept changing the meaning of their end-of-the-world predictions after they failed to come true. In other words, it's an unsuccessful attempt to cover up your blatant false prophecy. Oh, yeah? Well, how about this? Hey, that sounded like something. That was Latin. Well, all right, it looks like you were wrong, metal man. Backwards, Latin. What? You just said Satan is my homeboy in Latin. Backwards. Which I think means you have a demon. I do not have a demon. You probably have a demon. I do not have a demon. Pretty sure you have a demon. We do not have a demon. Yeah, pretty sure you got a demon there, Daryl. <laughs> pretty sure you got a demon there, Daryl. <laughs> okay. Back to Agnes. All right. So. 
RM said the language, they said it was gibberish. That's what reminded me of that gibberish. That is too funny, man. All right, anyway. Um, the only actual record we have of one of the tongues spoken by Parham students was written by a reporter of the Topeka State Journal. And he found a, and David Cloud said, I found a copy of this during a visit to Kansas State Historical Society. Mr. Parham called Miss Lillian Thistlethwaite into the room and asked her if she could talk some. She at first answered that the Lord had not inspired her to say anything, but soon began to utter strange words, which sounded like Usa, 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 Rela, Sema, Kala, Maka, Kana, Lula, Saj, Nalan, Ligal, Logal, Lazy, Logal, Enna, Mini, Mo, Sa, Ra, El, Ma, Sa, Ra, Ma. Me, sorry. These sentences were translated as meaning Jesus is mighty to save, Jesus is ready to hear, and God is love. Okay. Liggle, loggle, lazy, loggle. This is exactly the type of tongues that you hear many and dozens of times Pentecostals in charismatic meetings. In, it's a bunch of childish nonsense. It's not even accurate. It's not even what the Bible says. In 1914, Charles Shumway diligently sought evidence to prove that early Pentecostal tongues were real languages. But he failed to find even one person to corroborate the claims that he had made. In his 1919 PhD dissertation, Shumway censured the local Houston Chronicle for credulous reporting and stated that letters are on hand from several men who were government interpreters in or near Houston at the time when Parham conducted a Bible school there, and they are unanimous in denying all knowledge of the alleged facts. After examining the tongues spoken at Azusa Street Mission, led by William Seymour, holiness leader W.B. Godby, concluded that they were not languages. The Rocky Mountain Pillar of Fire, a holiness publication for September 12th, uh, November 14, 1906, contained the following accounts. This Hindu can talk in six different languages and says he has never heard any of them at the tongue meeting. One of the languages he can talk is Arabian. And some of the people at those meetings claimed to talk that language, but he said it sounded like a lot of turkey gobblers. September 12, 1906. November 14, 1906, a gentleman who, was, who has four years been at the head of a missionary work in India has just been to the Los Angeles with the view of securing some missionaries for his field who profess to have the gift of tongues. He came back stating he could find no one who could really speak in any of the languages in India which he is acquainted. Many linguists who have studied the tongues of Pentecostals and Charismatics have come to the same conclusion. William J. Samarin, professor of linguistics at University of Toronto, he summarized his research as follows. He said, over a period of five years, I have taken part in the meetings in Italy, Holland, Jamaica, Canada, and the United States, and I have observed old-fashioned Pentecostals and Neo-Pentecostals. I have been in small meetings at private homes as well as in mammoth public meetings. I have seen such different cultural settings as are found among the Puerto Ricans of the Bronx, the snake handlers of the Appalachians, the Russian Moluccans in Los Angeles. It is extremely doubtful that the alleged cases of Xenoglossia among our languages, among charismatics, are real. 
Anytime one attempts to verify them, he finds that the stories have been greatly distorted or that the witnesses turn out to be incompetent or unreliable from a linguistic point of view. Glossolia is indeed like languages in some ways, but this is only because the speaker unconsciously wants it to be like language. Yet in spite of superficial similarities, glossolia is fundamentally not. The gospel message published in Kansas City in October of 1906 contained the following testimony. These are all documented testimonies of people that were there. We were acquainted with, with Miss, Mr. Charles Parra many years ago, and when he visited Kansas City with his workers after he had made his statements regarding the wonderful blessing that had come to his school in Topeka, we invited him to visit us with, the, with his followers and tell us about his experience. They accordingly came, and before the meeting, we told them that there were present those present that could speak Spanish, German, Arabic, and Swedish. And that if any of his people could speak in other tongues, we would be glad to hear them in one or more of these. They had, however, no liberty that night, but told something of their past experience and their strange writings, which have been reported as the work of the Holy Spirit. When, however, we asked Mr. Parham pointedly and publicly if he knew certainly whether these writings were of the Spirit or just scribblings, he candidly said he did not know, but that he was having them or would have them investigated. But a report of such investigations has never reached us. Reprinted from Larry Martin, Skeptics and Scoffers. This is the Pentecostals lying signs and wonders. Bogus, strange, and elusive. Right? Never consistent. Always, always off the chart. Never to make sense. Never biblical. Always insanity to the highest level. Okay. I David Cloud said, I visited Kansas State Research Library in Topeka in 2002 and got a photo of the building where Parham had his Bible school. It was destroyed by a fire in 19... He found other news articles there. Two articles give testimony of S.J. Riggins, a student who left the school claiming that the other students were merely speaking gibberish. Middle Eastern gibberish. Middle Eastern gibberish. I believe the whole of them are crazy, said Mr. Riggins to a Capitol reporter. I never saw anything like it. They were racing about the room, talking and gesticulating and using this strange and senseless language, which they claim is the word from the Most High. I do not believe their senseless jargon means anything. I'm trying to be an earnest Christian. When I left the congregation today, I told why I did so. With all the earnestness of, at my command, Mr. Riggins said that some of Mrs. Osmond's writings, which she claimed to be inspired, was submitted to a Chinaman here in Topeka with the honest intention of seeing if he could translate it. The celestial threw up his hands and said, Me no understand. Take ye to Jap. Me no understand. Take ye to Jap. Mr. Riggins told this story without a suspicion of levity, and if he put any humor in it at the last, it was done unconsciously. It seemed terribly inert. 
They began to claim the gift of tongues and the gift of discernment, and each talked of a different kind of gibberish, claiming to be inspired by God, and that they talked one of their foreign languages. I was not under the influence and could see that the students of the school had been led to this extreme through their fanaticism and finally decided to leave the school. Accordingly, last Saturday morning, I went away, but before going, I called the inmates of the building together and explained to them my reason for leaving. I told them that they were under the influence of the evil one, that the best thing they could do would be to leave school as I was doing. They all laughed at me, and I left the school and did not intend to return. About 15 members of the colony have now been given the gifts of tongues, and when a state journal reporter called to the school this morning, each of the favored ones were called up and spoke a few sentences in strange and unnatural way. Outlandish words which they neither know the meaning nor the language which they belonged. It is a peculiar sight to see a whole room full of men and women of the school sitting around occasionally breaking out with brief outbursts of talk in one of many languages which they claim to speak and writing the quaint and indistinguishable hieroglyphics which they believe to be the characters for words in the Syrian, Chinese, Japanese, Arabic, and other languages. We are convinced that Riggins was correct in his assessment that Parham and his students were speaking gibberish and they were fanatics. They were practicing fanaticism under the influence of the Satan. Consider this description by Parham of what students were doing the day after Osmond began her tongue speaking. Listen to what he says. The next day I went downtown and upon my return found all the students sitting on the floor talking in unknown tongues. No two talking the same language and no one understanding his or her neighbors. This is strictly contrary to the biblical instruction about the use of tongues. That Bethel Bible School of Tongues in January 1901 was confusion, which the Bible says is not of God. 1 Corinthians 14. The Bible says that tongues are not to be used unless they are interpreted and even then the gift is to be exercised by only one speaker at a time. Further, women are not to speak it. Here it is. For you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. But for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. They are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. They will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the To the contrary, the Bible says a genuine prophet or tongue speaker is in control of himself. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Osmond's uncontrollable tongues were not of God. The lack of control over the tongues was also described by Lillian Thistlewaite, another student at Parham's Bible School. He said this, My tongue began to get thick, and great floods of laughter came into my heart. I could no longer think words of praise, for my mind was sealed, but my mouth was filled with a rush of words. I didn't understand. I tried not to laugh, for I feared to grieve the Spirit. I tried to praise Him in English, but could not. So I let the that praise come as it would in the new language. You know, this reminds me of something for all of us. You know, we could sometimes let our tongues move and not think about what we said. 
I did that today. I was at the store and something happened and not tongues. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues, but even like a situation arose, a circumstance. And I started saying something and I said something and I had to correct it because it was dishonest. And I said, wait, nope, that's not it. That's not what happened. This is what happened. Why? Because deceit is in our hearts. Our heart is deceitful above all things. So we have to watch what we say. We can say things sometimes be like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not correct. I had to correct myself before I led somebody to believe something that wasn't true. And it just kind of just flowed out. I was like, that was wrong. That's not correct. And I had to fix this. Like, wait, nope, that's not the case. That's not what happened. I said, no, this is what happened. Because it was like the conviction of the Lord. And I said, Lord, please forgive me. That wasn't right. That wasn't honest. And I corrected it. Because it can happen to us. And if you get caught, and by the way, what happened was I was caught up in the moment of something that was going on around me. And I got so worked up about it. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. And the Lord reminded me. It was God. It was the Holy Spirit reminded me, hey, that's not correct. I was like, oh, man, that wasn't, that's not what happened. What am I doing? You know, you get caught up in something. Hey, this could be a good deal. This could be a good thing. And you're not thinking and you're just running your mouth. It's like, whoa, because I wasn't consciously thinking, hey, I'm going to lie to somebody. I wasn't like I wasn't doing that. I that's how Christians are, though. We get caught in the moment. We can become dishonest. I've done it before. And I've had to correct it. Say, Lord, forgive me. Wait, that's not how it happened. This is how it happened. And I had to get right with God right there. And I mean, that no one else knew what was going on. It wasn't because I was cornered and somebody said, oh, you were wrong. No, no one else knew but me and God. But it bothered me. It convicted me. It still bothers me that we could so e- that I could so easily just flip off my mouth and be like, hey, did you ever think to check your words, what you're saying? Like, slow down. Think about what you're saying. I was like, Lord, forgive me. It's not honest. That's not exactly what happened. That's not what happened. This is what happened. And that person don't know. They don't have a clue. They don't even care. It doesn't have anything to do with them. It was between me and the Lord. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to. I corrected it immediately because God showed me. Boom. Like, whoa, wait a minute. That's that's what happened. Don't get carried away with a good deal. Don't get carried away with a good situation. Don't get carried away with something that's going to give you gain. Right? Right? And it wasn't even a major thing. It wasn't. And that's what bothers me. It bothers me still. It bothers me. I know the Lord forgave me for it and God forgives us, but it's like, it's so easy for us to be able to, and I corrected it. I mean, praise the Lord because it wasn't for them that I corrected. They don't know nothing. 
And to most people, it wouldn't even matter. You know what I mean? For most people, it wouldn't even matter because it's not a big deal. The end is the same. The end would have been the same result, but I knew. God showed me your words were not correct. Fix them. And it bothered me. It still bothers me. That it, it, you're reminded of this fallen flesh. You know, this selfishness and this and rashness. We can be so rash. And spur of the moment things, that's when people can be dishonest. Christians, most of the time, Christians don't plan to be dishonest. It's a spur of the moment. They get cornered. They get backed into something uh, and all that kind of stuff. But they get caught up. And, I, man, I got caught up in the moment of that. It's like, wait, that's wrong. That's sin. That's wrong. No, you fix that. You get that right. You you fix that. You you be honest. You make sure you tell the truth. Not for those people, but for me and the Lord. Because those people, they don't care. It doesn't have anything to do with them. They don't even know what's going on. But I know. God spoke to me about it. So what I'm saying is I can understand how people get hyped up and these demonic stuff that's going on here, they can get hyped up, caught in the moment, exaggerate, say things that aren't true. We're prone to do that. Like, Lord, forgive me. It bothers me, still bothers me. Someday we'll be free from this flesh, but I hate it. I hate it. But praise the Lord, I hate it. If I loved it, it'd be a bad thing, wouldn't it? God makes you hate sin. And the best thing you could do is never leave something wrong like that. If you can fix it, if it's, you know, straighten it out right in the moment. That's what I did. I just straightened it out in the moment. Well, nope, that's not exactly, that's not what happened. This is what happened. Boom, done. Right? You're clear in the matter. God knows, and that's what's the most. This is contrary to what we see in the book of Acts. And the epistles, as we've seen in the previously quoted newspaper, Parham students not only claim to speak in tongues, but also to write in them. They claim these writings were foreign language, such as Chinese, but when they were examined by knowledgeable people, they were found to be mere, mere indecipherable scratching. Topeka Daily Capital printed an example of Osmond's inspired writings, and it can it can still be seen in Kansas State's research library. It's nothing but like like sticks everywhere, stupid stuff. They were quaint and indistinguishable hieroglyphics, they called them. A reporter for the Topeka State Journal observed Agnes Osmond. She was allegedly writing by inspiration. Miss Osmond sat at a desk writing some letters which were to be posted that morning. Shortly after finishing the letters, she sat down to write again and immediately announced that her hands utterly refused to write the characters of the English language. And with her hands unconsciously formed the characters of some language. She was not able to state which. She did not interpret the marks. In writing, the character, the muscles of Miss Osmond's hands seemed to con contract, and she made those marks. 
spasmatic fashion, her hand rather jerking back and forth, made the scrawls. Hindu and Zulu are both present at Bethel State Journal. It's all, that's the same thing that New Age writers do. New Age writers do the same thing. It's called automatic writing. Talked about that with the Ouija board, didn't we? With the, the Ponte. So. So uh, it's a wonder. Anyway, so the early Pentecostals thought they would be able to preach in foreign languages. The gift of tongues. Parham is quoted. It's a wonderful work coming as it does, does on the eve of the 20th century. Right? He said, the Lord will give power to speak, to talk to the people of the various nations without having to study them in school. He said this, we have received several messages to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We must obey the command. A part of our labor will be to teach the, the churches the uselessness of spending years of time preparing missionaries for work in foreign lands. When all they have to do is ask God for power, then have faith that the power will come. So they had to have faith that the power would come. You're saying, oh, you don't have to go to school. You just do this. So we're about done here. Um, So they all believed they could do this, right? Then they got over to the field and then they found out they couldn't, right? So, uh, as these and others missionaries returned in disappointment and failure, Pentecostals were compelled to rethink their tongues view of speaking in tongues. See that so they sent these missionaries over everywhere and they couldn't they couldn't do it. They couldn't speak the languages, so they had to come back home. That's from Robert Mape Sanderson's vision of disinherited the making of American Pentecostalism. Parham's Bible school in Kansas closed down within months. He moved to Texas to establish churches. He also started a new Bible school in Houston. The new movement was called the Apostolic Faith, and it grew quickly and split into many factions. The Dictionary of Pentecostals and Charismatic Movements notes that Parham's contributions to Pentecostalism included the particular acute level of latter rain millennialism. Parham's first book was titled Coal Care Bomadar, Voice of Crying in the Wilderness. He considered himself a latter-day John the Baptist announcing a new dispensation of the Spirit. He gave himself the title of Projector of the Apostolic Faith. When one of Parham's co-evangelists, Lillian Thistlewaite, wrote an account of the Topeka, Kansas revival, she entitled it The Wonderful History of the Latter Reign. But in the summer of 1907, Parham was arrested in San Antonio, Texas, on a charge of sodomy. The charge was dropped by authorities without comment, and Parham explain marred by scandal he spent the final two decades of his life alienated from the bulk of his movement he had begun 
At that time of Parham's death in 1929, he was almost unknown among the developing second generations of the Pentecostal denomination. Yet no one individual did the movement owe a greater debt. Because of the charge of solemnly, sodomy, excuse me, because of the charge of sodomy, W.F. Carruthers and Howard Goss disfellowship Parham from the apostolic faith organization he had founded. When Parham visited Zion City after this and tried to raise a following there, William Glenn Voliva put up a billboard warning the inhabitants of the city as follows. You know that this city is the private headquarters of the Christian Catholic Apostolic Church and a place of residence for its officers and members. Those who break in here and attempt to hold meetings of any kind, especially to run a disgraceful monkey house, are nothing but thieves and thugs. Old Parham from Sodom made fools and monkeys out of you. Either repent of your idiotic performances and line up for the God of Zion, the God of for God and Zion, or pack up your stuff and get out of here and establish a zoo somewhere else. They were all a zoo. In 1908, Parham raised funds to travel to the Holy Land on an archaeological expedition to search for the lost Ark of the Covenant. He told the press that he had information about its location and that finding the Ark would fit into the End Times program by December. He announced that he had sufficient funds and traveled to New York, alleged to begin the journey to Jerusalem. He never purchased a ticket to the Middle East and returned home dejectedly. And in January of 1909, claiming he was robbed, arriving in New York. That's the end of Charles Parham. And uh, all of these men end up usually in disgrace and very sick. That's usually the way they all end up. Okay? All right, well, we are done.